If you want to grab your Bible, go find the book of Leviticus, all right, the book of rules, and we're going to be hanging out there for a little bit this morning. How many of you guys have ever um, seen a snail? Yeah, a snail. Maybe you've played with snails when you were a kid. Maybe you've gone to France and you've eaten snails. (laughs) I have not. (laughs) But um, snails are known to be small, slimy and sluggish. There, there's a little movie that my son likes to watch on, uh, on TV. It's called Turbo, a little animated movie of a snail that, you know, science fiction here. It's not real, but he gets induced with some powers and he becomes supercharged. And he's a fast snail and ends up competing in NASCAR, uh, which is totally weird, but uh, totally out of character. But hey, besides being small, slimy, and sluggish, there's an interesting fact to be known about snails. And that is that most snail species have a tongue much like our own, except on their tongue, there's about, there's thousands, rows and rows and rows of thousands of tiny little teeth. Tiny little teeth. That's a weird tongue. This toothy tongue is called a radula. And depending on the species, there could be anywhere from 1,000 to 12,000 teeth on that tongue. Isn't that incredible? These thousands of little teeth, they work together, allowing that tongue to almost work like a file, scraping off and sawing off the soft parts of the food. It is incredible. What these creatures lack in agility and size, they more than make up for in their powerfully destructive tongue. And they're is, the Bible tells us, another tongue that is incredibly harmful. It can inflict a lot of harm, and that is your tongue and my tongue. Our tongues are incredibly destructive, and they have the power to do a lot. There's been more sins committed by this one body part than all of our body parts put together. It's just the reality of it, right? I know that I have, at times, feeling like I've fallen on the tongue of a snail, (laughs) But yet it wasn't a snail that I fell on. It was my fellow brother or sister, a family. In fact, there's been times where I have said things and I didn't realize it. And then afterwards, I realized, man, I just cut that person deep. And I've made a mistake in how I used my words and how I utilize this little organ that sits right here. Right here. I don't know about you, but I could sit here and tell you stories, and we wouldn't even get to the sermon about how this has happened in my life and how I've observed it in others. I, I just want you to just stop and consider this. Just, just go ahead, and you don't have to tell me a name, but just put up a hand. Have you met this type of tongue before in your life? Maybe if you haven't, don't lift up your hand, but maybe someone has met yours. <laughs> Just saying. So for this reason, I want us to just contemplate Leviticus 19. And the reason we've been looking at a couple of things that, you know, I want us to just be honest. And sometimes we look at all of the problems and things that we need to accomplish and, and, and resolve. And we see what's happening outside. And the reality is that sometimes a lot of the problems that are outside are also inside the church. 
And we've looked at, in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at, you know, how anger sometimes is a scheme that the enemy utilizes to get us into wrath and to just totally wreak havoc on the church. We looked at last week how envy is another one that really, what can be accomplished out of envy, it is something that absolutely no man can stand before it. It has no good purpose. It does not fulfill any good thing, and it can ruin relationships and destroy, and if it's caused a lot of havoc within the church. And today I want us to look at this one issue where the enemy will sometimes come in very easily, and he'll say, yeah, I'm not going to come in and wreak havoc in, in this church through, you know, wrath. These people are well, these people are peacekeepers. They're really awesome. They're, they're really, you know, uh, kind to one another. They're great at this. And, and they're not, you know, really looking and vying and competing with one another. These guys are not in the comparison game, but hey, I know that I can inflame some of their tongues. And so the enemy jumps in. And so today, for that reason, I want us to look at Leviticus 19. For God has left us some substantial and and very unmistakable commands in the book of Leviticus, and here is one of them. And I feel like it serves us incredibly well. I want us to get practical today and look at a couple of things related to this idea of this radula that's right here. It might not look like it has teeth, but our tongues are incredibly sharp. And I want us to look at that this morning. Verse 16 of chapter 19 says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Now, the New King James Version puts it like this. It says, You shall not go about as a tale-bearer among your people. And I don't feel like it can get any clearer than that. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning. Lord, I I am speaking this, Lord Jesus, just contemplating even recent circumstances within my own life, Lord Jesus, where I have chosen to say things or not say things or the spirit of how I've said things, Lord God, just did not bring you honor and glory. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to receive from you that which you have for us. But God, I pray that you would also encourage us, Lord Jesus, with the hope of your word. Thank you as you are for us and with us. And Lord, help us to understand how much we can do and be for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So this morning, what I want to do is look at uh, several verses here in Leviticus 19. And I want us to get practical and, and make some observations related to our words, right? We talk about the tongue, but we're not really talking about going around licking people, all right? That's not the problem in the church. Uh, that might be a whole different problem that, you know, if you've come across that, please have a conversation with me. We need to resolve something. We need to do something about that. Like my son will go around licking things. Sometimes I find him licking the bottom of his shoe. He's at the store licking walls and surfaces. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Uh, and I found out that Lonnie, it's not just my child, but, uh, you know, it happens in your store as they're looking at furniture. Kids are licking the display window. That, that's not the problem I'm talking about in the church. But the problem that sometimes creeps in is, is what we do with our words. So let's get practical about our words. Let's get uh, broad and, and talk in generalities, and then we'll get down into some more specific things. So the first thing I want to just bring for your attention, uh, we'll start off in verse 11, is that words are personal. This is the first observation. Words are personal. They can convey who we are personally who we are as a person. Look at verse 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. 
You shall not lie to one another. 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Jump down to verse 14. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. Hello. Um, But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Go to verse 16. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Now, in Leviticus 19, if you read the chapter, we're not going to get into this. There's a whole bunch of rules. And in Leviticus, you know, he's trying to portray his holiness and how we are to be holy like God is holy. We're to pursue that. We know that we're never going to quite hit the mark. We're going to fall short. But still, nevertheless, we're called to strive. We're called to pursue holiness as he is holy. There is all of these rules that are going to be shared in Leviticus. And here in chapter 19, there's the word now, uh, I'm sorry, the word you appears over 50 times. Here God is speaking to his people through his servant Moses and he's trying to tell them about their personal expression, how they're going to walk out and live, how they're going to you know, identify themselves as his holy people, how they are going to use through words the, the, the Ten Commandments and flesh it out in their personality and in their walk of life and in their being. So he says a couple of things. For one, discard lying. Discard lying words and so define yourself as an honest person. So define yourself as a person of truth. He says, uh, steer clear of false promises and so define yourself as a person of integrity. Hey, do what is right. Use your words to not speak something that is of ill will, even if it's done in secret. If you say something to a deaf person, he cannot hear you. If you put a stumbling block before a a blind person, he won't see it. Even in secret, do not do ill. Do not use your words for ill purposes. And so define yourself as a person of character. See, just because the person can't see it or hear it doesn't mean that we should go ahead and say it and be it. Why? Because our words can define us as a person of character in that moment. So here's the theme. God is telling his people. He's giving them this insight that our words has an incredible capacity to communicate who we are. Our words can identify who we are. We can communicate what we like, our thoughts, our feelings, our values, our ideas, our desires, our dislikes through our words. We can say a whole bunch about ourselves. We can allow people in a window into who we are through what we say. And we do so on the daily basis. We do it on the daily to a tune of about 16,000 words a day. That's according to a University of Arizona study. 16,000, and by the way, guys and girls, there's been this, you know, it depends on the study you look at, but, you know, it's said that guys speak about 7,000 words a day while girls speak 20,000. You know, reality is some guys speak a whole bunch more than girls do, all right? So just, let's just squash that. And that study said, on average, every person speaks about 16,000 words a day. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. But not only do we speak them, we also put them to paper. We write them down. We, we put them on paper. We scribble them down. We post them online. We text them to each other. We put words, not just in the verbal format, but we put them in the written format, and they are there, which lead me, leads me to reflect. 
If you could just take, you know, a reflection and analysis of the words that come out of your mouth and the words that come through your fingers as you're typing them in whatever medium. If you could even transcribe the words that are, you know, floating around in your head and you could just pop them on a screen and, and observe them and analyze them and, 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 and try to connect the dots on them. Tell me, what kind of things would you learn about yourself? You know, what would your words reveal about you? Are you known for certain words? Is there a pattern for some of the words that you say? You know, are there certain words that you have, have now become associated with you? Somebody can say a word and it's like, yep, I'm thinking of this person or that person. Yep, that's Brian. You know, when I hear him say that, hang out that he can't seem to get away from. That's Brian. Okay. What is it that your words are revealing about you? Would you, would you be courageous enough to ask the question? You know, are you known to put words to work for you in a certain way? To what ends and means? What are the words communicating about your identity, your worldview, your attitude? See, maybe... Some of us, you know, might consider ourselves an honorable people. Maybe you consider yourself an honorable person, but hey, your lies, you know, speak otherwise. Maybe some of us count ourselves insignificant or inconsequential, but our timely encouragements testify to the contrary. Maybe some of us are con contemplating saying, you know what, I am, I'm a faithful, God-fearing person. We are God-fearing people, yet our exchanges with his image bearers Say something different. See, our words are personal, and those words will say something. They will identify something. They will communicate something about who we are. Words are personal. That's why God said, don't lie. Don't do this. Don't do that. All things related to what they are saying. Secondly, words have potential. Somebody say potential. Let's look a little bit deeper here. Words have potential. As we look at these verses, we can surmise that there is a great potential in the tongue. There is a lot of possibility there. Here's the potential, you know, in this passage. It's all kind of framed in a negative connotation. There's a negative form here in which they are, you know, put together. It says, you shall not. Don't do this. You shall not. Negative. Not a positive. You're not saying, ooh, let's, let's find out what that is and... I'm excited to go for it. It's, you shall not do X, Y, Z. If you were to reverse the you shall nots and, and try to see what the message is behind it, you can quickly see the potential in the circumstance, right? If you take a look, for instance, at verse 11, he says, you shall not lie to one another. So that's what we're not supposed to do. But what's the opposite? If we're not supposed to lie to each other, what can we do? What's the potential of what we have at our disposal here? Well, the potential is we can choose to be honest. We can choose to be truthful. So I'm not to lie, and I am to be honest, truthful. That's the potential. Go to verse 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely. There's another negative. Don't do this. Okay, great. Don't swear by God's name falsely. All right, now turn it around. What can we do? If we're not to swear by his name falsely, can we not come, to the, come and pray in God's name? Can we not encourage in God's name? Can we not, you know, bless somebody in God's name? 
And in so doing, invoke his blessings, his character, his promises, his word, his being into that person's life or circumstance or situation. Can we not then bless in God's name? And in so doing, we're not going to profane his name. We're not going to profane and bring shame to him. But what we'll do in that process is we'll bring glory to God as we bless in his name instead. There's a potential there. I can take away or I can add to. I can bless or I can curse in that situation. You can say words that are going to destroy or you can say words that are going to delight. And and that idea is so encapsulated in the Proverbs. If you read proverb upon proverb, I like this one. Look at Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We can say things that will either enrich or things that will kill. That's incredible potential. You know, stop and consider this for a second. Let's look at relative history here and compare two different people who are known for their speech, known for how they utilize their words, the potential that is so displayed when you consider the words on the screen of these two individuals. The first is Adolf Hitler. Just stop and contemplate the power potential of his words. See, this was a man who swayed the great masses of people through the words that he spoke. He turned a nation with his words. He turned a people with his words. And you know what happened there? The results were devastating. He's responsible for the deaths of millions and millions and millions of people. And that wasn't the potential of his words. He didn't do that himself. He did not pull the trigger on every one of those deaths associated with his words. But man, every one of those carefully crafted words led to that result. Contrast that Mr. Hitler with Mr. Billy Graham. Just contrast the potential in those two different men. This man, on the other hand, he used his tongue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the masses. He spread the gospel of Jesus around the world. Billy Graham held 417 crusades, and this man went into 185 different countries, and he preached the gospel. He reached live audiences that surpassed 200 million people. And that wasn't even the bulk of his influence and reach. He is known to have spoken. His words have reached more people through radio shows and television broadcasts and all those things, some of which in this very room you can testify of what the potential of his words did for you. Amen? It is believed that one of his greatest, you know, impact is that his legacy is that the number of Christians that he got to mobilize around the world to share also in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of the different potential between these two people. One utilized his words, and it led to the devastation and destruction of many people. And the other utilized words, and it led to the you know, encountering of life, new life, being born again of many people to experience hope in life. There is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. I bet you all know a sharp-tongued individual. It might even be somebody you saw in the mirror this morning. I didn't have to look far. 
I just looked in the mirror and I said, oh man, I found you. We know what it's like to be at the other end of a sharp tongue. The question is, how will we choose to use that tongue of ours? How do we choose to use it? Which potential will we pick? It's right there. It's locked. We don't even have to, to do much. It's just, it's there waiting. Proverbs say the power of life and death right here. Our tongues are personal. Our, our words are personal. Our words have potential. Our words are also powerful, church. Our words are powerful. That's the thought in verse 16. When he goes on to this, that's the meaning, that's the, 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 the idea that's locked in this. And I think that we don't have to, you know, try too hard to understand that. We get it. We've seen it. We've encountered it. He says in verse 16, you shall not go around. You shall not go around as a slanderer or as the New King James Version says, a talebearer among your people. Now, what, what is a slanderer? What is a talebearer? What are they? It's very simple. It's a person who has a nuanced story to pitch. It's a person who is carrying a nuanced story. And I say nuanced because it's a story usually about someone else. You know, we all meet people and we all say this. I say this often here. It's like, hey, I want to get to know you. If you're new here for the first time, I want to hear your story. It's not that, you know, having a story is a bad thing, but it's a nuanced story. A talebearer has got a story and it's not really about them. It's about someone else. They've got a story that's nuanced because um, there is elements of the truth in what they're saying, but they have now so far, far, far spun the truth that the reality is not even within the same realm anymore. The, the facts are not even anything resembling what reality truly portrays and bears out. But that's okay because the slanderer, the talebearer, is not really aiming to share truth. What the talebearer and the slanderer aims to do is to ruin a person. Those who have a story to tell about someone else is not really aiming to bring you truth, but they're aiming to ruin a reputation. His or her purpose is to do the contrary. They want nothing else than to have you change your mind about the other person. That's what a talebearer is. A slanderer is. A slandering talebearer will say things like this. Well, let me just tell you what really this person's like. Hey, hey, no, no, no. Let me, let me tell you what I overheard. Hey, come on over here. You know, you don't know all the facts. Let, let me enlighten you. You don't have it all together. Let me, let me bring you up to speed. And the sad thing is that people, when they hear that, they lean in. A lot of times we lean in. Ah, what? Yeah, all right. Yeah, what is it? And we lean in. The difference between a talebearer and a concerned friend is the difference between a butcher and a surgeon. Both of them are going to cut, but for very different purposes. A butcher is cutting for one purpose. A surgeon is cutting for a whole other one. The Hebrew word for slanderer here, by the way, is the word rakil. It means somebody who bears or carries harmful information about some other person. And 
if we want to put it into the, the Christianese or put it into, you know, words that are more contemporary that we might actually use, the word we put together and we associate with this is gossip. And there's TV shows, right, Gossip Girls, so that, that edify and, and, and uh, you know, portray this, this, this activity like, like it's something that's great. That, that's the word that we might use connected to this word rakil. It's gossip. Now, we've gotten very good in the church. We've gotten very good nowadays and very crafty at this really sinister sin of gossip. We might not come around going around saying, hey, come here, let me tell you the latest scoop. Let me tell you the tea. Come here, let me, let me just you know, bring you up to speed on something. Instead, we say this, hey, I'm, I'm really concerned Hey, 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 come here. My heart is just, my heart is burdened. And don't get me wrong, man. How, how many of us are not for, you know, we're against the unburdening of hearts. How many? You know, not many of us. We, we're all for that. We want us, you want people to unburden their hearts. We want people to be free. We want people to, to, to be able to, 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 to breathe and, and have, you know, this release, yes, and, and, and be free of what is oppressing and bothering them. We want that. We're all for it. So that's where it's so insidious. Oh, I'm just so concerned. My heart is so burdened. I can't tell you last time someone said to me, hey, let me tell you the scoop about this person. No. But it's like, pastor, I'm just so worried about X, Y, Z. This person and that person. And, and, and hey, again, concern is good. But I wonder, have we masked it a little bit? We, we don't go around saying, hey, let me tell you what I've overheard. Instead, we say this. And this is even worse. Sometimes we don't even say it. We just jump into it, right? This is what I've noticed and I've seen it, especially, you know, being in corporate context. Sometimes we don't say, hey, let me tell you what I heard. But we couch the gossip inside of a prayer. It might go something like this. Oh, Lord, you know, Pastor Brian. You alone, Lord, you know all of him. Lord, you know what he did. You know what he's really like, God. Lord, I just pray you bless him. And everyone else, as they're hearing your prayer, they're like, what did he do? Really? They're thinking, man, I knew Pastor Brian was a mess sometimes. You know, he'll go up to the pulpit and he just start bawling. And, and he doesn't got it all together. But really, what is he really like? I heard he punched his refrigerator when he got mad. What is, she said that, what is he really like? See, we don't go around saying, let me tell you what I overheard, but we'll say things like, Lord, help them. They need you, Lord Jesus. You know them, you know their heart. And we start praying that. And gossip's got its way in. Just like that, a story begins and, you know, it's, pitched in a way that has an ulterior motive and someone's perceptions of another person come under attack. Today, there are many websites, there are many Twitter accounts, there's many YouTube channels, there's, there's so many different blogs that you can find all over the place and they're all dedicated solely to the exclusive activity of gossip. You can find it wherever you go and, and hey, just reality check, let's be very practical. The best way for you to deal with all that stuff is avoid it. Don't be on it. Don't become a member and subscribe to that YouTube channel and all they do is talk and slander and gossip other people. Don't jump on that bandwagon. 
And you might go like, all right, so, you know, you're, you're talking about how in the church we might say we're concerned and, and how we, you know, might, might throw it into a prayer. I, I'm confused here. Where am I crossing the line? How can I tell if gossip is, is gossip or if it's just news? Like, there's the reality of news comes into our lives and, and we have to deal with it and address it. So let me just ask you this. This is a simple way you can figure it out. Uh, ask yourself this. You know, when someone is sharing that thing with you, do they raise their voice or do they lower it? Because typically when I, when I see, you know, in the cartoons, you know, when there's a, a, a person who's sharing the, the, the headlines, they're in the town corner in the square and they're saying, they're saying, hear ye, hear ye, and they're proclaiming out loud the news. If the person is coming to you and all of a sudden they're looking around, they're, they're, they're hushing their voices. They're getting lower and lower and they're speaking so that somebody else may not overhear what they're about to tell you. Uh, red flag, that might be gossip coming your way. If you've got to go off into a corner to go talk about this situation, I understand there's certain things that are confidential, no problem, guys. But I wonder if this story that's being pitched that's about somebody else, that's aimed to bring about a new perception about another person, if it's getting lower in volume and decibels, you might want to run away. Proverbs 16.28, a whisper separates close friends. It's done in secret. But unfortunately, it doesn't stay that way. In 2005, a woman by the name of Anna Ayala was dining in a San Jose Wendy's restaurant. And she claimed that she chomped down on a partially cooked human finger. Wendy's fans, let me just set you at ease, it was all a con. So if you love the Wendy's chili, you can go ahead and keep eating it because it's not true, okay? I don't want to ruin your culinary experiences at Wendy's. Please don't hate me. Anna concocted the whole story. She, you know, had planted a real human finger in her chili bowl. Her husband, Jamie, got the severed finger from a co-worker who had suffered an industrial accident. And hey, oh, look at that. Great idea. Let's take that finger. Let's put it in here. Let's make some money. And she claimed that she had a finger in her chili. The police didn't take long for them to catch that this was a hoax, this was a con. They weren't fooled by this bizarre scheme, but the damage was already done. See, the deal is that uh, Wendy's lost an estimated $21 million in lost business. And several franchises were forced to fire their staff. There was an incredible turnover as a result of this woman's accusations. And Wendy's spent, because of the customer's backlash, because they had so many people leaving their restaurants and not coming in, they spent two days giving away finger-free Frosties to everybody for two days, just trying to get customers back in the door. Sadly, Years later, many people still believe the story to which there's been, you know, uh, announcements and, and, and news articles that were written to try to stem the, the, the damage of all that. Meanwhile, the finger master and her husband went to jail. They were sentenced to lengthy prison sentence, and upon their release, the woman was banned from ever setting foot in another Wendy's. Church, our words have power. 
There's an old proverb that says, the tongue is but three inches long, but can kill a man six feet tall. Words have power. There is potential. They will declare something about you. They will identify you as a person. And for us as believers, as Christians, as those who know the Lord and love the Lord and want to be, you know, followers of the Lord, we need to be aware at all of these incredible things concerning our words. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Friends, our words should be purposeful. When we open up our lips... When we have an exchange with someone else, our words should be purposeful. Notice how he reaches down past the tongue and he goes down deeper to where words, you know, beyond where words are spoken, he goes down to the heart where words are formed. He starts talking about how in your heart do not hate your brother. Now, why does he do that? Because the Bible tells us often that the seed of our emotions, the place of our reasoning is in our heart. That's where our inner thought life, our, 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 man, our inner man is said to, to, to abide and dwell. It's, you know, if foul things come out of our speech, then friends, let me tell you, there is something foul occupying our hearts. It's no use for us to say, you know what, yeah, I did say that thing, but I don't mean it. We don't get to do that. We, we can't do that. If you've said it, then there was something in here that motivated it. There is something here that drove it. And so you got to look honestly at yourself and say, hey, there is something here and I need to deal with that. You know, have you ever wondered why when you get to the doctor and you might not even have an oral issue, you might even have a speech issue, it might not even be anything related to this general area of your body, but the doctor will say, stick out your tongue. And they practically choke you as they're sticking a little stick down there to look at your, you know, inner workings. I hate it. My gag reflex goes crazy. But they'll ask you, stick out your tongue. They want to look in your mouth. They want to see that thing. Why? Because there's, there's an indicator. You know, through that, doctors can see, hey, you've got a vitamin deficiency. Hey, you have some sort of infection that's going on, and I see it reflected upon your tongue. It's an indicator of what is happening internally. There's something else going on, but I can see the evidence of it right here on your tongue. Some of us, you know, might be struggling with this, and, and, and Jesus goes on and validates this. He says in Luke chapter 6, The good person out of the good treasures up, uh, of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. We might be struggling with a foul mouth, but let me just tell you that, you know what, it's not our unruly tongue that's an issue. It's our unsubdued heart that is a problem. The problem isn't up here, it's down here. The problem goes deeper. Our hearts need to be cleaned and cleansed. So notice what he says. You shall not hate your brother. That is not something positive. Hating your brother is not something that's great. It's not something that you're bearing incredible, joyous moments and, and feelings and, and thoughts concerning your brother. You know, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we get control over our tongue? Let me give you a cliche answer. Love. 
how do we control this little thing right here that has the ability to, to, to promote us personally and has potential in it, is powerful? How do we control it? Through love. If you really love people, you won't gossip about them. If you really love people, you're not going to slander them. That, why? Because that's hate. That's hate speech. That's you know, bringing them to a different reputation and tarnishing their name. That is not something that's caring, compassionate. That is not loving. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. You want to control your tongue, choose love. And before you stone me for giving you a cliche answer, let's get practical. You want to overcome this thing right here and, and, and win in this area of your life. Then you know what? When somebody comes saying something about you or, or does something that hurts you, don't let it go. Don't let it go. No, go and talk to that person directly. He said here in verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. In other words, don't talk about that person. Go talk to the person. Don't talk about them. Go talk to them. The problem is most of us are, you know, we want to talk about the person as opposed to talking to them. And the Bible tells us to go and frankly say, hey, I've got a problem with XYZ. Hey, I don't know what your intention was. I don't know what you were thinking. Uh, maybe you have no idea that this impacted me in this way, but I just got to be honest with you and tell you that this, 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 and this happened. And this is what I'm feeling. It's the healthiest way for us to deal with it. Directly seeking reconciliation beats stewing hatred in our hearts. We've talked about it. It's that root of bitterness that will grow within us if we don't do something about it. This is the same thing Jesus taught in Matthew 18. That we are to go and deal with the person. We've got a problem, go talk about it. Yet that's not what we do. Instead, we go and tell a hundred other people about the problem. We like going and telling everybody else. Oh, and sometimes we don't even do that. We just go on our computers and our Facebook and our mobile devices and we cryptically put up a post. We don't mention names, right? No, we're, not, we're not that silly. We will just go ahead and change the, change the dates and change the moments and not say the names so that we can be able to air it out. And by definition, we haven't told 100 people. We've told the world. As opposed to going to that person and they're completely oblivious that they might have said something. Or maybe they're not. Maybe they are 100% guilty of doing what you believe that they have done or said. Maybe we have the intentions to go, but then we reason to just let it go and forgive. No, I'm just going to do the Christian thing. I'm going to forgive them. Because Jesus says 70 times 7, I'm going to forgive. Yeah, but you have a problem. They hurt you. We're supposed to live in unity. We're supposed to love our neighbor and go speak frankly with them. And we're just saying, I'm going to let it go. Well, if you let it go way too long and way too often, then you know what? You have left the person off the hook, but you haven't really because it's festering within your heart and it's not helping you. So don't put it off. Go ahead and put love into practice. Go to the person. What else can you do? You know, want to get practical. How do you choose love? Here's another gold nugget. Put love into practice by not listening to gossip. Just don't listen to it. The problem isn't just that people love to gossip. Plenty of people love to hear it. So many of us, we just love to hear it. When someone comes around claiming to have the latest scoop, the 401, the, the newest tea, okay, and they show up in front of us, I wonder how many talebearers would abandon their pitches if their words fell on deaf ears. I wonder, 
Could it be that there are so many open mouths because there's so many open ears? Could it be that we are just not doing what we're told to do? Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. But these morsels are not feeding something that is loving. They're feeding something that is perverse. I encourage you, if someone approaches you and they've got the newest scoop, all right, and they've come to you with an evil report about somebody else, why don't you check them, all right? And I'm not talking about like all you hockey players. Don't check them like hockey. Although you checking them by challenging them might feel that way. Might feel like you just tackled them with your words by, you know, calling them out on something. Ask them something very simply. Here's what you could do. Say to him or her, say, hey, why are you telling me this? Why, why do you want to talk to me about this? Do you want me to be part of the solution? Like, are you, call, are you including me so that I can go with you and we can together go talk to this person that you need to talk to? Is that why you want to bring me into this? Do you want me to come with you? I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm, let's go. Is this why you want to do it? Or are you just going to tell me something because you want to slander this other person? Man, when you say that to them, you're going to check them real hard. If their intention is less than reconciliation or resolution, then don't listen. If they can't answer that question, it's like, yeah, I'm bringing you in because I want you to come help me. Help me to craft my answer. Help me. How did I do this wrong? And I want to fix this. And I want to go there. We're going right now. Like, as, as, as I'm telling you, we are on our way to that person right now. Check them. I encourage you, if someone approaches you with an evil report, okay, if they're spinning a story about somebody else, I implore you to check them. Ask them, hey, where did you get your information? Just ask, where did you get your information? Did you go to this person directly? Have you personally checked out the facts? Are you a fact checker? Do you know this firsthand? Like you actually, or did you hear this from XYZ person? You're just the newest telephone line that has, you know, gone and distorted and heard all this from everybody else. If they can't reveal their sources or choose not to reveal their sources, if they have not fact checked the situation and the details, then you know what? Don't listen any further. I'm done. I'm not listening. If someone attempts to unburden his heart concerning someone else, please check them. Ask them this ultimate question. And this one will shut everyone up. I'll say, hey, can I quote you on this? Can I quote you on this? Hey, you're the one who's bringing this information for me. So when anyone tells, when I tell, like some, some, at one point, this is way before Toys R Us ever closed. Someone came up to me and said, hey, Toys R Us is closing. Everything's like 50% off. And I had just had, you know, my son was, was, you know, a little kid starting to get into toys and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, sweet, I'm going to go save some money at Toys R Us, buy toys for my kid. I show up and everything's full price and there's nothing going on. And I got so frustrated at that store. I'm like, I'm wasting my time over here. Everything is 100% free. I never even bothered to look up if there's actual facts behind that. I just went off of this person's ideas. And I actually told a whole bunch of other people, go to Toys R Us. I got so livid when I got to that place. I'm like, why didn't I check the facts? And then I was embarrassed. And I, I did say, hey, you know, well, XYZ person actually told me about this and they were wrong. But I was wrong telling it to other people. See, if someone shows up telling you how they are burdened about XYZ and they got to tell you this little thing, just ask them, hey, can I quote you on this? 
You are my source. I'm going to let everyone know that I got this from you. And if they are looking at you like the deer in the headlights saying, please don't, then you know this is not news. This is gossip. I got to walk away from this. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to be part of this. And so choose love by going to the source. Choose love by not listening to gossip. I'll invite the team to come up, and we're going to worship God in a second. In 2006, January, an Australian scientist group discovered a cause of a mysterious disease that was ravaging, killing thousands and thousands of Tasmanian devils. And yeah, by the way, those are actually real animals. It's not just a Looney Tunes crazy guy that spins around real fast. Um, There's a picture of them up there. Scientists initially believed that uh, the deaths were caused by a virus. However, when they did the analysis and they were researching, they came up that um, this rare disease was actually a fatal cancer. And they named it Devil Facial Tumor Disease, DFTD. What is strange about this, as they researched, according to the cytogeneticist Anna Marie uh, Pars, the abnormalities could all be traced down to some chromosomes of the cancer cell, and it was the same chromosome cells in every single tumor. It was the same one in every single death. And what that means is that the disease began in the mouth of a single sick devil. One Tasmanian devil had this disease. And these ferocious little guys, uh, they facilitated the spread of this disease by biting their neighbors. They're known to wrestle with each other and to bite each other and nip at each other when they're squabbling for food. And so according to the scientists, you know, these guys would bite one another. And as they were biting around the mouth and face and, and going for it, pieces of the tumor would break off and fester in open wounds in the ones that they bit. And then it would just grow. Over the course of several years, the infected devils continued to inflict deadly wounds on each other, and it ravished their population. Consequently, DFTD spread at an alarming rate, ultimately wiping out 40% of their population. Can I say this for a second, though? Similarly, that same fate threatens the church and its members if we persist in the devilish behavior of wounding each other with our words. The same fate is reserved for us. You know, let's not contract DFTD. Let's not, you know, harness our tongues like the tongues of a snail that is full of thousands of teeth that's biting and serrating, cutting and chopping things out, ruining lives and relationships. Let's develop the tongue of the wise that promotes health for the honor and the glory of God, who is holy and says to us, hey, I want you to be holy as I am holy. God wants us to emulate him to love him and love others as we love ourselves. And we can't do that if we are so concerned about going out there and saving the world, yet we're destroying each other's lives through our words. There was a family who made a decision in their Sabbath that they would not criticize each other. They never spoke about this openly and made an agreement, but they just made a decision that they wouldn't be criticizing one another. 
they would speak the truth in love, but not criticizing over the Sabbath. And they had teenage kids in the home. And it turns out that every Sunday they would realize that in their house it would be full of people. Why? Because their teenage friends started realizing this is a place that I want to be a part of. There's something good here that I want more of in my life. Friends, the church should be that place. The body of believers should be that place where others come alongside us and say, there's something good here that I want to be a part of. How I'm treated, how I'm talked to, how I am encouraged, there's something loving and nurturing that is here that I want to be a part of. There's something edifying. Even if it comes at a rebuke, there is a frankness and a genuineness and an authenticity that's here because we work out the things we don't allow it to fester. I want you to stand with me. Today, I wanted to bring you this word as we're contemplating things that kind of infiltrate into the church where we feel like we're so good on, but yet could there be an insidious scheme that the enemy... That impacts, sorry, that impacts us in this way. Today, I want you to just reflect on your words. And if you've uh, been at the receiving end of a sharp tongue, then, hey, today, give it to the Lord. But then make a commitment in your heart. I have to go have a conversation. Not that this person actually is a sharp tongue ill-intending person, but just, hey, I received something in a negative way, and I don't want to give the enemy a foothold any longer. For those of us who are going to receive conversations, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be open, to be aware that we make choices and we say things that we don't even intend to at times. Help us to better choose our words. Let me just tell you, Jesus decided to share words of incredible love when we did not deserve so. We did not deserve them. And he speaks words of life and freedom available to each and every one of us. And so if you haven't encountered Jesus Christ, then today make a decision. It's not really so much about making a decision, but Jesus comes alongside us and gives us so much in terms of life and what it means to follow him. And so it's not just you saying one simple word or a couple of well-crafted words right now, but it's a matter of you aligning your words, aligning your heart, aligning your life to him, and he will show you the way. We will walk with you in it. But God wants to restore you and help you to have purpose, to choose power, and to reveal something good, incredibly personal about yourself through what you speak. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Lord, I invite you to just speak life and freedom inside of people's hearts today. Lord, it's not about drawing a crazy altar call experience, but Lord, I pray that you would just give us pause If 16,000 words are coming out of our mouths on a daily basis, Lord, help us to redeem them. Help us to have purpose behind them. As this text shows us, the person needed to be intentional to model and utilize words for the purpose of love. I pray, God, that you would help us. In Jesus' mighty name.